this. Beginning in verse 1, so I'm going to read. You follow along. It should be on the screens or in, in, in your copy of your Bible on your lap. All right? Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also, For Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that Your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, thank you for uh, this letter. Uh, Thank you, Father, for the incredible example of... uh, a Christ-like appeal uh, for the example of uh, forgiveness and restoration of relationships. And Father, I, I pray that you would teach us this morning to be like this. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians and Philemon would have been delivered together, okay? So if you remember, uh, actually last week when we looked at the end of Colossians, we looked at uh, spiritual friendship and we saw everybody that was with Paul, everybody he was writing with, same people are all involved here, okay? So, so as, as, they, as the letter of Colossians is delivered to the church, they would have delivered this one as well. Philemon, the letter to Philemon, a particular individual in this church, would have been delivered as well. So you picture these guys walking in. Yay, well, they're here, you know, and here's a letter from the Apostle Paul. And then, where's Philemon? Where's Philemon? You know, Philemon, come over, you know. 
uh, this one is specially for you, right? And actually, it probably would have been read in front of everybody, which would kind of be a little bit awkward in this setting, but I think that is probably what happened. When you got a letter from the Apostle Paul, it was read everywhere, and he, he asked them to share them, and so they did, and, and the very fact that we have it in our Bible says they did share it, right? So, so this was a letter to this individual, all right, and it's, a, it's an appeal, Paul is appealing to Philemon to do the right thing, to forgive, to welcome and receive a brother who's wronged him. All right, that, that's the nature of a letter. So one of the unique things about this book is it's written to basically a church member um, about a particular thing, about a broken relationship in the church, and Paul is appealing to this guy to fix the relationship. And so that, that, that's why it's pretty unique. It's why... Um, probably maybe it doesn't get preached a whole lot um, because the the tricky thing about the book of Philemon is the context, uh, the offender in the situation. Okay, so by offender I mean the guy who like did the bad thing. He's a slave, and the offended in the context, the guy who you know got hurt, he's the master. Okay, now now one of the things in our minds that it just doesn't work because we. We would say, no, 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 no. The guy that's the slave is the guy who's the offended, right? And the guy that, he's the good guy. And the guy that's the master, he's the bad guy, right? Because whenever there's slavery, the master's always the bad guy. The slave's always the good guy. I mean, that's the way it works in our heads. And so one of the tricky things about this book is it's actually the other way around, all right? Now, you're, I know what you're thinking. You're like, how could it be the other way around? Well, I... First of all, we've got to kind of take ourselves out of 2017 uh, America and put ourselves back in first century Roman Empire, all right? First century Roman Empire was a world of Roman slavery. It was, it was the way things worked. It was the way that all industry, all businesses, uh, it's just the way that everything worked, all right? So for them, this was not strange. For them, if you remember when we were reading through Colossians, when Paul goes and, and begins to say, okay, here's all the truths we learned about Jesus. Now let's apply those to our family, all right? So husbands, this is for you. Wives, this is for you. Kids, this is for you. Slaves, this is for you, you know? And the reason he did that is, he's looking around the family and that's who is in a family in a family you had the dad the husband you had the mom the wife you had the kids and then you had the slaves right so their their world centered in this way some statistics point out that half of the population of the roman empire were slaves there was no certain race or nationality that was enslaved. One of the huge differences between slavery that we saw in America, or that we didn't see, but that we read about in America 100 years ago or 200 years ago, and the slavery of the Roman Empire was, it was not race-based, all right? So who was a slave in the Roman Empire? Usually the following people, okay? People that were conquered uh, in war. So, so you might have two armies battling it out. One army wins, okay? So instead of killing those guys or like going and putting them in prison camp, like a prisoner of war camp, they made them slaves. So, you know, you, you lost the battle. Your country got overtaken. You were in the army. You were fighting. So now you're a slave, okay? So a lot of them were kind of as a result of war. Uh, criminals who couldn't pay their debts, or that we're paying their debt to the society. So maybe you got caught stealing or you got caught something and instead of going to prison, you, you were made a slave for a certain amount of time to pay off your debt. Here was a big one. And I don't wonder if maybe Onesimus didn't fall into this. Uh, it was very common 
but if you went into bankruptcy. So you had financial trouble. There was no bankruptcy. So, that, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a modern term. So, in other words, today, if, if you start a business, it doesn't work. You go under. You can't pay your debts. What do you do? Well, you, you file Chapter 13 or you work out a payment plan or something. Okay, in that day, there, there wasn't any of that. What happened was you, you were sold as a slave until you could pay off your debt. So, so you may, you know... You may work 10 years or whatever to pay off all of the debt that was left behind, right? So a lot of people would actually sell themselves into slavery in order to pay a debt. So lots of different reasons that people were slaves. Interesting, a lot of slaves were managers. They were, you know, a guy that had a company. Maybe he had 10 quick stops in, in Jerusalem, all right? So he probably had slaves that were taking care of those. They were managing them. He had an accountant that was probably a slave. He had, you know, so there, that, that was kind of the culture of the New Testament world, of the Roman Empire. Now, it's strange to us that the New Testament never directly confronts this from the standpoint of calling for a rebellion or some kind of political coup, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, uh, going, holding up signs at the, you know, Roman Empire, you know, Caesar just stopped us, slavery, you know, something like that. Um, they didn't do that. Uh, that's strange to us. It's strange to us because we're Americans. And, and like, if, if, you're, if you're upset about something, what do you do? Well, the first thing is you get on Facebook, right? We know that, right? And then the second thing is, you know, you write your congressman or you, you know, you go and you, um, you know, pick it at the, at the state capitol or you go all the way to Washington, D.C. and you, you know, I don't, you yell or whatever. What do you want to do? And, and it's fine. That's, that's the way our country works, right? These guys did not have that power, right? If you went and picketed, you know, uh, uh, the Caesar in Rome, you pro- they probably just killed you, you know? Uh, I mean, it, it just didn't work that way. You, they did not have that luxury afforded to them. And finally, the New Testament is laser-focused on the mission of the gospel to the world. And so we, we looked at this when we looked at Colossians in, in Paul's words towards slaves. But man, from, from a gospel standpoint, the most important thing in the world is the mission of the gospel. And whether you're slave or free or whatever your life situation is, man, you, you engage in the gospel, all right? You, you, don't, you don't sit around, you know, bemoaning the fact that this isn't right in your life or that isn't right in your life. Man, the New Testament just doesn't think that way. From, from a New Testament perspective, the kingdom has come. Jesus is king. And you've been brought into it and you've been born again. And so whatever your situation you find yourself in, run hard after God and God will work out the rest. That's kind of the way the New Testament approaches those, those things in our life. So even though we don't hear Paul saying, all right, Philemon, free all the slaves. You know, all the Christians, free all the slaves. We don't hear him saying that. What we do see, though, is that the principles of the New Testament, actually the principles of this book, all right, so Paul writes to one guy, right? He's writing to this one guy who, who owns slaves. And, and if this guy, and I believe he did, if he lives out what Paul is calling him to do, slavery will f- go down in his life. It's actually what happened in, in America. It's actually what happened in England. It's what's happened really in most of the world. Anywhere Christianity goes, if people begin to live out the gospel, slavery will eventually disappear, Okay. So that, that's what Paul does. He appeals for a new relationship between these two men. All right, so he's writing to this guy and he's saying, okay, I'm appealing to you that, that this new relationship be, be formed between you and this man who is your slave. He's no longer your slave, but now he's your brother. 
He's a cherished family member. He's a partner in the gospel. You need to think of him in that way. All right? So are, are we all on board? So let's just review one more time. Otherwise, this whole thing doesn't make sense, okay? So here's the setup. Philemon is the master, okay? So he's, he's the guy in Colossae, in the, in the city of Colossae, where Paul writes these letters to. He's, not, he's, a, he's a Christian. In fact, the church is in his house, so he's probably a pretty wealthy guy. He's got a big home. Everybody comes there. They have small groups. They hear the gospel. There's preaching, worship, okay? So that's who Philemon is, okay? Onesimus is the slave, okay? Onesimus is the slave. Um... Probably Philemon treated him really well. Uh, how do I know that, you're asking? Well, uh, Paul talks about this guy. He talks about his life. We'll get to that in just a second. And from everything we know from what Paul says, I think that's probably what happened. I think, I think this guy was probably a very generous master. He probably had set up a good work schedule, provided for him physically. He probably had health insurance as much as anybody had health insurance. You know, in other words, when he got sick, he took care of him. You know, he took him to the doctor. He you know, provided for his needs. They probably had a friendship, a good relationship. Most likely, that's what, from reading this, that's probably what we believe. Now, who's Onesimus? He's the slave. What happened? Well, he stole a bunch of money, all right? We, we're pretty sure that. Paul talks about, you know, whatever he owes, put it on my account, I'll pay it. So probably he, he stole money uh, from Philemon, and then he took off. Okay, so probably what happened was he's like, I'm tired of this, don't want any more of it. Uh, again, maybe he was a prisoner of war, you know, and so maybe he's from another country, you know, or maybe he had gotten in trouble financially and sold himself, and now he, you know, feels like ah, it was a mistake or whatever. We don't know, but whatever. He got in the safe one night, he took a bunch of Philemon's money, closed it, took off in the middle of the night, and made it all the way to Rome, all right, which was, again, against the law. Uh, you, slaves for them to run away was against the law stealing obviously was against the law how much money are we talking about well I, I don't know but I think we need to get this in our heads because um, it, it makes it makes a difference when you're talking about forgiving somebody so um, I, if I remember right a just your bottom layer slave your kind of guy that works out in the fields was 500 denera a denera is uh, one day's uh, uh, wage uh, for like a working man, uh, so I don't know. So let's 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 assume Onesimus is uh, educated. Let's say he costs fifty thousand dollars in today's money. Okay, so I'm just kind of figuring that out from from what what you know, you know, five hundred days of a daily wage in that day. What would it be today? So trying to kind of so let's say he costs fifty thousand dollars. Let's say he stole twenty five thousand. So. Just for the sake of us having some numbers, right? You understand that I don't know because it doesn't tell us. But just for the sake of us kind of getting this in our head, let's say basically Philemon wakes up one morning, Onesimus is gone, you know, there's a note on the bathroom wall, see ya, you know, the safe is open, it's cleaned out, he's out 75 grand. All right, so can, can we all get there? All right, so let's just, that, ha, that helps me to, to kind of put myself in Philemon's situation. So let's say you wake up one morning, your, your best employee's gone, the safe's cleaned out, you, you paid 50000 you know, invested in him, and so now you're out 75000 all right? So Onesimus runs away, but he runs into the Apostle Paul. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? So he runs to Rome. Why does he go to Rome? Well, it's, a, it's the biggest city in the Roman Empire, right? Where would you go if you're going to hide? 
you know? Well, you, you wouldn't go to Slap Out. It's hard to hide in Slap Out, you know? You wouldn't go to Fargo, you know? How you, you go, everybody's going to know who you are, right? So where, where are you going to go? You're going to go to a city, right? And so you're going to go to a big one. And so Onesimus goes to Rome. Well, Paul's in prison in Rome. Somehow the two of them meet. We don't know how. It would be an interesting story to know how that happened, okay? They meet. Onesimus hears the gospel from Paul. Paul ministers to him. So through the life and ministry of Paul, this slave who's run away from his master gets saved. Okay? He gets saved. He's born again. Paul disciples him. And now Paul is sending him back. Man, don't, 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 can't you imagine that guy's stomach, right? Like he's going back now to the guy that he cleaned out the safe, you know. He stole the money. Uh, he ran away. He broke the law. In that day and age, from what we read about the Roman Empire, a slave who ran away, he could be killed. Like that's, that's a capital offense. So he could, he could have the death penalty for this deal. All right? But Onesimus goes back. Paul sends him back with this letter, right? So opens the door. Hello, Philemon, you know. Right? But before you say anything, here's a letter from Paul, right? Like, like, here, read this before you say anything, right? So that, that's, that's the setting here, all right? So here's a letter from Paul. Now, in this letter from Paul to Philemon, Paul is appealing to Philemon to welcome, receive, receive him as a brother. Don't treat him as a criminal. Don't treat him as a thief. Don't treat him as a runaway lawbreaker. Don't treat him as someone who's put everybody in this horrible bind, Welcome him as a brother. In fact, next week we're going to look at verse 17. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul says, welcome this guy just like you would welcome me. This thief, this runaway, this lawbreaker. Welcome the guy just as you would me. So that's the setup, okay? Now, one of the things that I really like about this book is it is a masterpiece in how to appeal to another Christian to do the right thing. You, you ever have that situation? If you don't, you're not working very hard for Jesus, okay? Uh, I, you should be having those situations. You, last week, we talked about spiritual friendship, okay? Now, if you are building spiritual friendships, if you're in a small group, if you've got discipleship groups, if you've got Christian brothers and sisters that you are checking in on, you are going to have this opportunity a bunch, okay? Now, well, not, not to, okay, so appealing to someone to do the right thing is the kind of broad category, but specifically what Paul is doing is he's appealing to Philemon to forgive, all right? Now, I think you're going to have that specific opportunity as well. Right? Because how many times do you get a phone call or a text or you meet your Christian brother or sister and you can tell they want to talk and when they what they want to talk about is they are chapped about something, right? They're angry. Someone has offended them. Someone has done this thing or said this thing or you know, and, and they're just they're angry. All right? And so so how do you handle that? How do you, you want them to do the right thing? You want them to follow the Bible, you want them to forgive. All right, so anytime you have had, you have to have a hard conversation with another believer about obeying Jesus, you should read through Philemon. It only takes a few minutes, all right? So I'm telling you, you know, if you get a call from your Christian brother or sister and they're like, I am furious with my husband, I've had it, I'm furious with my wife, I've had it, I'm going to leave, you're like, wait, 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 I'll be right over, okay? 
All right, so as you're grabbing your keys, grab your Bible and just take two minutes and read through Philemon. It, like really, like, like this is, in my opinion, the best book in the Bible to help you have a hard conversation with somebody. It's brilliant. All right, it's, it, it's, it's a brilliant book of, of, of skillfully, subtly appealing to somebody to do a really hard thing. All right? So don't let the cultural issue of slavery, don't let that mess you up. Um, it didn't mess me up, actually, at all. And, and part of the reason that it doesn't mess me up is when I think about most of the conversations I have with people about them being offended, literally, like, half the time, I don't really get why they're offended. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? So, like, you know, if you're trying to read through this and you're like, I just don't think, you know, Philemon is a, you know, he's, he's a slave owner. How can he be offended? I just don't get it. Well, don't let that bother you. Because literally, like, half the time when someone comes in and they're like, you know, veins popping out, you know, about to have a stroke out on a heart attack and, you know, hey, what's going on? And they tell me and I'm like, really? You're that mad about that, are you? <laughs> okay, well, all right, let's deal with it, you know? And, and so let, let's follow Let's follow the book of Philemon, all right? So what I'm telling you is we need to get good at this. We need to get good at helping people do the right thing. And if, if you're in a small group, I think you're going to have this opportunity. I think if you if you got Christian friends, you're going to have the opportunity to have a conversation with somebody who's, who's really hopping mad and, and, and try to lead them to be obedient to the Bible. If you're married and there's a spirit, any kind of at all spiritual dimension to your relationship, husbands, have you ever had a conversation with your wife when they were mad at somebody? Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Some husbands are rolling their eyes. Some are, you know, I mean, your wife ever gets, come on, you know, that's usually about the kids, isn't it? Normally, right? You know, like teacher did this to Johnny to, you know. It's a kid at the playground, you know, what happened, honey? Well, I got there and so-and-so was, you know, picking on our son. And, and you're like, oh, no, you know, you didn't hit the kid, did you? Please, you know. No, but I wanted to, and I'm thinking about going back, you know. Okay, hey, let's, let's talk about this, right? So you have some kind of spiritual dimension in your marriage. If you got kids and, and you're discipling them, if you're discipling anybody, you're going to have lots of opportunity to practice this. Because everybody you're discipling, everybody in your family, they're sinners. They struggle to forgive. They struggle with broken relationships. They get angry. All of those things are true. So you've got Paul making a Christ-like appeal to forgive. Now, I feel like this is one of those deals I got to do a whole bunch of pre-work to actually get to it. One, one more thing. Anytime I ever mention forgiveness, anytime we ever talk about a sermon on forgiveness. So like the rest of this today and then next week, it's all going to be about you know, appealing to someone to forgive, okay? Every time I do that, I always have somebody, so I'm, I'm, see, I'm beating you to it. I always have somebody at the back, you know, who says to me, okay, you know, you, you, you made this big case that we, we you know, we, we always should appeal to forgive. Well, you know, let me tell you my situation. This guy murdered my whole family and uh, he's in jail now and he writes me death threats every, every week and you're telling me that I need to reconcile with him, you know? Uh, first of all, I'm very sorry if that happened to you. That's horrible. I, I don't think it probably did. But if it did, I, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Second of all, no, that's not what we're talking about, okay? In other words, anytime I ever talk about forgiveness, people always go clear to the furthest, you know, 
worst case horrific situation possible and then say, really? I'm supposed to reconcile? I'm supposed to, you know? Well, that's another issue. We, we probably, I'd love to talk to you about that if that's really happened in your life, okay? But, but here, here's the reality. That's probably not what you're dealing with, you know? You're probably dealing with someone said that, you know, your shirt was ugly or, you know, you, uh, your kid didn't play in band well or I, I don't know. It's, it's probably something like that. And, that, you know, a lot of times it's a Christian. And so in that situation, every bit of this applies, okay? So that's what we're dealing with. If, if you've got a situation where your whole family was murdered and, you know, the guy's still trying to kill you, hey, let, let's, let's, have a, let's have a private conversation about that, okay? Um, but that's probably not what Philemon is really addressing here. So first thing. First thing we got to deal with, is it our business, okay? So you got Philemon who, you know, had Onesimus as a slave. This guy steals from this guy, runs away, breaks the law. You know, isn't this between those two guys? So why is Paul in the middle of it? Why is Paul, any, any of you kind of run that way? Like, hey, if it's not my business, I don't want any part of it, okay? Now, Sometimes that, that's, that's good. Sometimes that's virtuous, not to want to meddle in people's business. Um, there's a, a verse in 1 Thessalonians that talks about, you know, living a quiet life, minding your own business, minding your own affairs. There's something to that, okay? But there's also a very strong principle in the Bible about helping people obey Jesus, helping each other obey Jesus. So, for instance, Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, how's that end? For they should be called sons of God, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called. In other words, you're called to be a peacemaker. Uh, Psalm 132, 33, I'm sorry, verses 1 and 2 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. I mean, God, God, wants, God wants his people to be united. Um, there's a great example of this in the book of Philippians that, that encourages you that, yes, in certain cases, this is your business. In Philippians chapter 4, there's two gals, two ladies that are at odds with one another in the church. And in verse 2, he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So you got these two gals, Euodia and Syntyche, they're at odds with one another. We're not sure what it's about. But, but Paul writes and he says, all right, you two gals. In other words, he gets right in the middle of it. And he says, you guys got to gotta agree in the Lord. You got to get on the same page. You can't be at odds with one another. And then he says in verse 2, Yes, I ask you also, true com com companion, so he's talking about the pastor of the church at Philippians. He says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, so not only does Paul get in the middle of it, but he says, okay, and you, pastor, you also get in the middle of it. So, I, I, I mean, there are certain cases, you know, where yes, it is your business. Now, you got to ask, are you the right person? You know, if you barely know the person, it's probably not your, your business. You know, if you've not invested in them, if you don't have the right kind of relationship, if you don't, you don't love them, if they don't know that you love them, if your motive isn't really truly to help them, if you just want to get in the middle of it so you can find out some details and put them on Twitter, you know, that it's probably not you. No, no, it's not your business then. Stay out of it. But many times, it's going to be somebody you really care about. Somebody you have a spiritual friendship with. And you don't, you don't want to see them sin. You, you want to see them do the right thing. Next, our appeals should be based on love and not law. Okay, let me read you a couple verses again. So Philemon, 
There's only one chapter, so don't look for the chapter. So Philemon verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Okay? Now go to verse 14. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. Okay? So, so here's basically what Paul says. He says, you know what? I could just command you to do the right thing. And he could. All right? Christians, are you supposed to forgive those who hurt you? Yep. You are. Like, I, like, like you are. So right, right now, we could just say you're commanded by Jesus Christ, who is your king, to forgive. Colossians chapter 3, we just went through this a couple weeks ago. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You must. Man, you, you stand in the grace of Jesus. He has wiped away all your sins. I'm talking to Christians. You've been joined to Him. He's taken Him all the way. He's given you His righteousness. So yeah, you're commanded to forgive. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, the end of the Lord's prayer as Jesus is teaching us to pray. He says, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So could Paul just simply lay down the hammer on Philemon? You know, could, could this letter be a whole lot shorter? You know, and him just basically writing big letters. Forgive him. Receiving back. I command you by the authority of Jesus, by the authority of the Bible. Yeah, he could have done that. But here's what Paul says. I don't, I don't want you to do it because of that. I don't want you to do it because you feel like you have to. I don't want you to do it because you're guilted into it. I don't want you to do it because you feel like, you know, everybody's watching you and you, you have to. He, he wants to capture his heart. He says, I want you to do this for love's sake. I want it to be a want to in your life and not a have to in your life. You remember what Romans 13 said about uh, the law and love? Paul says in Romans 13, 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor by yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. What Paul says there, man, if, if you love people right, you don't, you don't, need, it, you don't need rules. And, and so that, 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 that's what he's aiming at. He's, he could just flex his... his apostolic muscle and command this guy, but he doesn't want to do that. He, he wants the guy to actually want to do the Christ-like thing. And so, so he, he's going to use some spiritual diplomacy. That's what I would call this. Spiritual diplomacy. Some strategic conversations to move Philemon's heart, to stir up Philemon's affections for Christ and for Paul and for Onesimus so that this guy can willingly and joyfully do the right thing. Isn't that what you want? Let me ask you this. Isn't that what you want for your kids? You know, I, 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 can, I can make them do just about anything. But I want them to want to do. Does that make sense? Like, I, I, don't, I don't want it to be a, well, okay, fine. You know, you ever, you ever done that with you know, your kids? Tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry, you know. 
I mean, do you feel like, okay, wow, I'm a great dad. I, success there. My kids love Jesus. No, they don't, you know. They just, you, you know, you, you told them you're going to whip them if they didn't say it. And so they said it. But that, that's really not, that's not what we want. We, we want people's hearts to do the right thing. All right, and so, so, so here, here's, here's what Philemon's about, this book. It's about aiming at people's hearts. How do you do that? That takes some skill, dads. All right, so when, when you're going to correct your son, when you're going to challenge him, appeal to him to do the right thing, your daughter, your wife, your, your friend, you're aiming at their heart. You're not, you're not just using the, your muscle to try to move. You're aiming at their heart. And so how do you do that? Okay, and that's what the next two weeks are going to be about. But let's, let's, let's get a couple in here today yet. Okay, number one, you start, you start with affirmation. Okay? The first thing that he does is he affirms Philemon. He, he affirms who Philemon is in Jesus. He affirms how the Holy Spirit has worked in this guy's life in the past. He affirms what an incredible blessing he's been. believers now now why does paul do that well one of the reasons is paul is not thor okay you know you know the avenger the superhero guy thor okay the guy's got one tool right what is it a hammer right and and he uses the hammer for everything okay there's a lot of of dads especially who are one tool dads i mean they they got a hammer and that's it you know paul paul's not that kind of guy okay so he realizes there are other ways to move people to obedience in Christ. And so the first thing that he does is to affirm Philemon's position in Christ. Let me read it to you real quickly again. Okay, so starting in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ for all the saints. Okay, uh, skip to verse 7. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That is a skillful example of appropriate affirmation. Okay? Now, now let, me, let me tell you something. Affirmation is different than smoozing. Okay? Affirmation is different than insincere flattery. We don't. We don't actually don't want to do those things, and, and people sniff those out. Man, there, there's a guy in our life. He cracks us up. I don't see him often, but whenever I do, it's it's just kind of always cracks me up because the guy is such a smoozer, you know. And it's all insincere, you know. Because I, I bet mean, every time I I see him, he's like, "Have you been working out?" You know, man, I I think you got more hair than last time. I'm like, no, none of that is true, you know. I mean, come on, I know that, like. Working out. No. You know? I'm softer than I've ever been. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, just like on and on, you know, and, and I know it's all just it's that's not true, you know? And and that's the difference between affirmation and, and smoozing, okay? So uh, be genuine in what you say here. Okay, don't don't say things that aren't true. That that's 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 disingenuous. But you know what you want to do when you're, when you're trying to aim at somebody's heart? You, you, want, to, you want to genuinely affirm what, what Jesus is in them and what Jesus has done through them. That's a, that's a really wise thing to do. And, and that's exactly how Paul starts out here. He, he starts out reminding, reminding this guy, man, you, 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 you're a man of faith. 
You're, you're a joint heir with Jesus. You're, you're connected to him. Man, people need to reminded, they need reminded of who they are in Christ, especially when they are angry, especially when they're offended. Have, have you ever noticed when you're filled with anger, you're not yourself? Um, one guy described anger as temporary insanity. I totally believe that, you know? I mean, when, when, when you're angry, you completely forget about who, who you are, you know? anger takes over the fruit of the spirit like leaks out all of a sudden and in that moment what you really need is you need to to remember who you are in jesus you need to remember your person of faith you need to remember you're connected to christ you need to remember those things that's who you are you're not this other guy so paul says i, man, I hear about your faith toward christ it's visible we've seen it he gives a personal testimony about his what this guy's meant to him. He says, I've derived much joy, comfort from your love, my brother. And then I, I, I love this phrase, because the hearts of the saints, this is at the end of verse seven, have been refreshed through you. Man, what, what's that word? Those, if you're in my, uh, my morning discipleship groups, if, if you're in one of those, you know how I love this word. Because literally, every, and it comes up a bunch in Paul's writings. Every time it comes up, I, I talk about it. Because I want to be, be the guy. I want to be refreshing to people. I, I want to be that guy. And, and it's just such a great word. You know, what, what, is, what does it mean to be refreshed? Well, I'll tell you what it means to be refreshed, okay? Go out. It's going to be hot today again, isn't it? It's going to be like yesterday? Yeah? Okay. If it is, then this would apply. Go out at 3 p.m. this afternoon and mow your lawn for a couple hours, Okay. All right, do that first, all right? Don't take a break, just straight through, you know, until it's done. And then come inside to the air conditioning and sit down with uh, your favorite cold drink, you know, your whatever you like, water, Gatorade, whatever it is. That's what refreshment is, right? It's like relief, like, like refreshed, okay? Paul says, man, your life has been that to people. Man, do you, do you see what he's doing with this guy? So just imagine it's you. You're angry. You're ready to throw down a hammer. You know, you're ready to you know, get this guy back for, you know, he just stole from you. How dare you? You made my wife cry. You, my kid, you know, my kids trusted you. All right? And all of a sudden, you got somebody that comes up and says, hey, man, I remember your faith. I remember what, what a strong believer you are. I remember how you're joined to Jesus. I remember how you trust Christ. I remember how you've been such a blessing all the believers what, what what happens to your anger when someone does that Whew, right you stop being you know the angry guy and and you start remembering who you are in christ and there's just a, there's a real subtleness here where paul's like man your love for all the saints how you've refreshed all the saints and now let me introduce you to Onesimus, our newest member of the Christian family, right? It's brilliant. Second of all, quickly here, Paul prays for Philemon. Look at verse six. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is, is in us for the sake of Christ. You know what I found just before we say anything about his prayer? What I found is that when someone is really angry, one of the best things you can do is pray for them. Pray with them out loud. Um, when they've got a hard thing to do, man, that, 
That, that's a good friend right there. He says, hey, let, let me pray for you. And, and, and here, it's interesting what he prays. By the way, this, this verse is the hardest verse to translate in the book, maybe one of the hardest verses in the New Testament to translate. So because of that, a lot of Bibles are going to try to hit at it a little different. But let, let, me just, let me give you the Greek, okay? So basically what you have here is Paul prays that his koinonia, okay, which many of you may recognize that, that word, it's fellowship, right? It's sharing something together. It's, uh, it's sharing something with somebody else. It's a close relationship. It's, my favorite definition of fellowship is two fellas in the same ship, okay? So, like, you're together in this thing, okay? He says you're, that your koinonia of faith would be effective or active in knowing all these awesome things about Christ that he's done for you, that's in you in Christ. Okay, so lots of people translate that differently. Bill Fay, if you remember with his great evangelism method, he took the NIV's translation, which I don't think is the best translation, and he, he kind of built a whole evangelism program on it, basically saying that when you share your faith with other people, it helps you know more and greater the riches that Christ has done for you. Is that true? Yeah, it absolutely is true. Is that what verses 6 is saying? Eh. You know, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it'd be real loose. I mean, I think it's implied there. But I, I really think he's not talking about evangelism. I think he's, he's talking about sharing faith with others. Okay, so when you when you walk through life with others, when you when you share life, when you live out the Christian life with others, you know what happens? You know more and more what Christ has done for you, the riches of his of his grace. And the more you know about what Christ has done for you, the more you want to share that with others. So that, that's really what he's praying here. Okay, thirdly, and this we'll stop here after, and we'll get the rest of the book next week. But Paul appeals for his spiritual family. All right, so Paul starts out. Uh, reminding Philemon who he is in Christ. Now Paul is reminding Philemon to see who other people are in Christ as well. You know, when we get angry, we tend to see those we're angry with only in terms of their offense. You know, that guy is the liar. He's the thief. He's the abuser. He's the guilty. He's the selfish one. Sometimes we need to see people who they are in their spiritual identity. So who's Paul? Look at verse 9 here. Okay, so verse 8 says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do as required, yet, verse 9, for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. That's the second time in this little bitty book that Paul has said, I'm a prisoner, that he started out by saying, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. That's why he started out introducing himself. Okay, so when he writes to Philemon, his first words are, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. You know how many times he does that in the rest of his books, his letters in the New Testament? Zero. I think. I think I breathed through them this morning. I didn't see it. Every other book in the New Testament that Paul writes, he says, he begins by saying, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. Something like that. But this one time, in this one book, he does it twice. And he, and he, every time he introduces himself, the two times he does in the book, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, why do you think he's doing that? Again, I think Paul is super skilled in this area. You, you, know, what, you know what I think he's subtly helping Philemon through here? I think what he's saying is, you know what, Philemon? We've all got to do tough things for Jesus. Man, I totally agree that. I, I think that's what he's doing. I, 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 th- I, think, I think he knows that as soon as Philemon reads this letter and, he, and Philemon gets it, what Paul's asking him to do is forgive this guy. Wipe away the 75 grand. You know? 
And not only that, but receive him as a brother. Invite him into the family. And and as we're going to see next week, I think he's urging him, let him go. Not only let him go, but send him back to me. And and we're going to work together in the gospel. That's pretty hard to swallow. That's a hard thing to do when you're running a business. But you know what? We're all called to do really hard things for Jesus. And so what's Paul mentioned right away? He mentions, hey, remember, man, I'm chained to a Roman soldier here for the gospel. We're all called to do hard things. Forgiveness is hard. Reconciliation is hard. Taking it on the chin is hard. Giving up your rights is hard. But also being chained to a Roman soldier when you're an old man. I think that's why he mentions the old man part too. Yeah, I've noticed that I'm, I'm starting to use that. Like, you know, whenever, like my, my, I don't really want to do something at home or my kids, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm an old man, you know. I mean, I'm really going to milk that the older I get, I think, you know. But Paul, Paul's doing it too, you know. He's like, man, I'm, I'm an old man. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I think he's subtly, skillfully giving Philemon examples of how Christ is calling us to take up our cross and to follow him. Well, finally, real quickly, who's Philemon? Or, I mean, I'm sorry, who's Onesimus? Look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Man, this is so brilliant. You know, first of all, Philemon and Paul love each other. And there's, there's a great respect there. You know Philemon greatly respects the Apostle Paul. And so now as Paul says, hey, here's the guy that stole from you, robbed you, lied to you, betrayed from you, ran away from you. Let me introduce him to you. He's my son. Now, you guys know this. The, the son of your best buddy gets more of a free pass from you, doesn't he? Why? Because you, you love his dad. And so, so what does Paul do here? Paul points out some spiritual realities. He points out the spiritual reality that though this guy's not his biological son, Paul puts spiritual sons on the same level of biological. By the way, that'd be, that'd be a really helpful thing for us to do at Lincoln. You know, I've got six biological kids, but you know what's maybe even more important than that? How many people have I helped come into the kingdom? Because those are my spiritual children. How many people have my spiritual children helped come into the kingdom? Because those are my spiritual grandchildren. And I, I think someday, up in heaven, I, I'd make the case to you, I think that will be a bigger deal than how many physical kids you had. I, th- I think your spiritual family is a big deal. So Paul's like, this is Onesimus, my, my son. My son in the faith. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. We're going to stop there. We're, we're out of time. We'll, we'll pick it right back up next week. And we'll get even some better stuff. But let, let, me just, let me just encourage you. I believe that there are people here this morning, and I believe there'll be people in each of our services, and you're going to have to have a hard conversation with somebody this week. Um, Somebody you love who's a believer, they're falling into sin, maybe they got a hard thing in front of them, they don't want to do it, and and you're faced with, what do you do? Do you just do nothing? It's not your business? Are you you going to be like Cain? Am I my brother's keeper? I killed him, buried him over there. Am I his keeper? You know? Or are you going to do nothing? Or, or are you going to try to engage? 
Are you going to try to help your friend follow Jesus? And if you are, I think there's a couple of approaches you can take. You can just take the hammer, you know. This is what's right. This is what the Bible says. You better do it. Don't be a big sinner, you know. Or are you gonna are you gonna follow the the Apostle Paul and you're gonna aim for their heart? And in aiming for their heart, you're gonna affirm who they are in Christ, you're gonna affirm their identity, you're gonna affirm the Holy Spirit's work that you see in them. You're gonna pray for them, you're gonna remind them of the spiritual dimension to the situation. You're gonna try to move their heart to be obedient to Christ. I hope that's what you do. Father, help us to be those kind of people for each other. God, I pray that you'd put people like that in my life. God, I I want you to. God, I want you to put people who will skillfully help me whenever I'm out of sorts or whenever I'm angry or unforgiving. God, I, I pray that you'd bring me some guys. God, put them in my life who will do exactly what Paul does here. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be those kind of people to others. Father, I pray that you would make the gospel clear, God. Let us live it out. Let us believe it and live it. In Jesus' name.